It's time now for the complete story with Dick Bott, a public news and information feature of Bot Radio Network to keep you informed about the most important issues of our day. Now, here is Dick Bott with today's complete story. Well, I tell you what, Rich, during Easter, during Easter weekend, we had the pleasure of hearing a testimony like I've never heard before, a Mr. Tas T A S. Sada, S-A-A-D-A. Am I saying that correctly? I believe so. You know what, Dad? And today we get to hear the rest of the story on <laughs> yeah. The Complete Story. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> because he told his testimony of being a, um, well, he was well, Yasser is, Arafat's yeah. driver. That's his book, and, Once and, an Arafat Man. Yeah, you know, Once an Arafat Man. And, an, and, a, and, a, and a sniper. I mean, and, he and, was really involved in the PLO, you, and, and he, he came to Christ. And when he came to Christ, what a conversion story it was, because he was so determined, you know, not to be, not to be rattled, not to be just jerked around. But when he was conflamed, conf, confronted with the claims of Christ, and then made his decision, and so on and so forth. And the but there's Lord always used, the rest of the story. The Lord used the faithfulness of a Christian businessman who witnessed to him and shared with him. Well, this, it was Charlie Sharp. That, yes. You know. yeah. All right, now listen. The gospel. Because Taz has a wife, and he has a daughter. Yes. And we're going to hear their story because they're going to be our, our guest today. You and Right, him. because Dad, you know, he, when he became a Christian, that had tremendous impact across his family. And we are so delighted to have his wife, Karen Sada, and the daughter, Farah, who's now married. And you have a different last name. Marvel, yeah. Okay. And so Farah and Karen, welcome to The Complete Story. Thank yeah. you, Dad. Thank you. Well, let's hear from Thank the wife you. first. Okay, when your Karen. husband, When your husband came to really know the Lord, mm. became a believer, became a Christian, old things pass away, behold, all things become new. How did that change your marriage, and how did that impact your life? Well, I'll tell you that um, previous to him actually coming to know the Lord, things were going on in my house I didn't quite understand. And so to lead up to that, he was, uh, actually, I found him on the phone one day with a Jewish rabbi. And he kept saying, Rabbi this and Rabbi that. And I thought, what is going on for my very PLO husband to be talking to a rabbi? And he didn't know I was listening. And I knew that he wasn't getting the answers he thought he needed. And when he ended the conversation, I just kept that. You know how the Bible says Mary kind of kept that in her heart. I kind of kept that on the side. And I thought, okay, Lord, what's going on? And so when it did finally, when he did finally come to know the Lord, um, I knew what the born again experience was. I had had a friend who who had actually been born again, and he had actually explained it to me before that. But um, I wasn't really sure because this young man had come to me with a lot of stories over the years. And at that point in time, it was a really low time for us. And, uh, and you were so, not a believer at that time. No. Uh-uh. And so he uh, came and said, and you know, this has happened. East, and you're not a Middle Eastern. No, I'm, I'm from here. I'm from Kansas okay, City. So, so absolutely, <laughs> your life was kind of in a, in a turmoil of, of trying to understand what was happening. Exactly. Exactly. And so um, when he came to me and said what had happened, I, I thought, no, nah, n- you know— <laughs> 
<laughs> You've done a lot of things in your life, but this now you're using God, and God was who I was hanging on to in those days because he'd but, been doing so many know, different things. But did not know the Lord as your Savior, and yet— I was not a born-again believer, no. So you were really skeptical when he came to you and said, yeah. I've trusted Christ as my Savior. I was. I was very skeptical. And um, But I watched him for, uh, I, I would find him reading the Bible late at night. And I knew that my husband couldn't even read a paper in English and understand it. Why could he? I'm the Christian. Wait a minute. Why could he read the Bible and understand it? And I'm reading the Bible, and I don't really understand it. <laughs> so when he actually— You could both read the words. Yes. But in his case, having been converted to Christianity and becoming a believer, the yes. words were living. In your case, they were just words on a page. Exactly. It's the Holy Spirit. Exactly. His eyes were opened and enlightened by the Holy Spirit, while mine were not. And I would go to the pastor that was trying to disciple us at that time, and we were going to church at that time at New Life in uh, North Kansas City. Mm-hmm. And Pastor Moore would come to me, and I'd say, you know, I think I've already done this kind of thing. I was 18 years old, and I, I would give him my my story and he said he would just smile at me and and be very kind and he would say Karen I grew up in a Lutheran church all my life and I thought I was saved but I wasn't but that's okay it'll happen to you someday <laughs> and so I was a little bit patient but at the same time I was a little bit argumentative with God because just just Growing up in a church and being involved around Christianity doesn't mean that you've personally accepted it. Exactly. Rich I, always says, like, being born in a garage doesn't make you an automobile. There, there you go. <laughs> exactly. And that's what I, I couldn't quite understand. But I was arguing with God back and forth and back and forth, and really it was just weeks later when I finally decided, you know what? I was listening to the pastor give a message, and all of a sudden a little boy um, stood up when he was giving the altar call. Mm. And there were only about 30 of us, maybe not even 30 of us, in this basement of a bank building church. (laughs) And this little boy stood up when he gave the altar call, and I thought, and I heard a voice in the back of my head, and a little child shall lead them. And I didn't even know that was scripture then. And I thought, oh, that's it, that's you, God. You know my heart for children. So he said, why not? And I stood up. And the pastor started crying, literally weeping. And I thought, "Uh uh-oh, what did I just do? Well, I knew then, putting it all together, that he started crying because he knew how important this whole thing was. Taz had already come to know the Lord. This Muslim had already come to know the Lord. And it was so important that I would be on the same page as we went forward. So he was crying for me. Tears of joy. Absolutely. And he came after the service, and he came right up to me. He took his hands in mine, and he looks at me straight in the eye, and he says, okay, Karen, you tell me what just happened to you. And I looked at him with a big smile, and I said, I just accepted Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. He said, that's it. Now you go home and start reading that Bible, and it's going to make so much sense to you. Now, whatever (laughs) church a person is aligned with or not at all, it is still a personal experience with the Lord Jesus Christ when you come to accept him as your Savior. Um, And that's really what it is, and that's what you're describing, isn't it? And then you can grow. Yeah, absolutely. I had been already introduced 
God had already been trying to get me there. Since I was seven, I knew I was going to be a missionary. But I didn't know how that was going to happen because I was a little Catholic girl, and I thought you had to be a nun to do that, and I knew I wasn't going to be a nun. So the Lord had a plan, but he was coming to me as a little little seven-year-old Catholic girl, and I just loved the Lord. I didn't I didn't feel right or whole until yeah, I was in I church. I want to tell you this: you could have been a little seven-year-old Baptist girl. You exactly. could have been a little seven-year-old anybody, exactly. but you were you were a person for whom Christ died Amen. and needed to surrender your life to Him. Exactly. And that's really what it was. Well, tell me now, because your daughter is here mm-hmm. yeah. in the studio, because <laughs> she has her story. When your father became a Christian. Mm-hmm. And your mother and all of that, you were pretty confused because you kind of had your own ideas as a teenager Mm -hmm. and kind of a family situation that wasn't always the best comfort zone, but it still was where you had learned to function. And so let's introduce now uh, Farah Sada. Mm -hmm. And uh, Farah, tell us your story. Well, and and you know... um I was 15 years old when I, I usually tell people I was 15 years old when Jesus walked into our home in the form of my father's heart, and um, it was very confusing. We had a very Through strange the witness of Charlie Sharp. See, yeah. there always is somebody that brings the word into our heart, and then it goes on from there to Absolutely. there to there. So Charlie Sharp talked to your father, led him to the Lord, who your father had been the Arafat, Yasser Arafat's mm-hmm. driver, a hitman. I mean, he was a, he, he was kind of a mean sort of he a determined an uh, person. Muslim person, was he? He was anyway, an so intense now you're person. 15, now you're 15 years old. All of a sudden, your world has turned around. But you grew Absolutely. up in a multicultural home family yes, life. And, exactly. and you're in high school. I'm in high school. I'm a sophomore in high school at 15. And, you know, and, you know, teenagers were just complicated at that age, uh, much less, you know, just trying to figure things out. And um, so when he he comes home and he's reading a Bible and he's he's, you know, praying and doing different things that I had never seen him do, it was definitely I didn't know what was going on. I thought that um, he was going crazy, actually. Um, there were so many things happening in our family. Like my mom said, you know, our, our world was actually our family was on the verge of implosion. Um, you know, in my mind at 15, and I was so angry with him and angry with our life situation that I, I was ready to leave. this a number of years ago. This is many, many years ago. Absolutely. I, you know, and and uh, so we, I'm, I'm getting into that really rebellious, you know, almost 16, about to get my freedom kind of looking forward and here he comes bringing this Christianity along and so um, he started taking us to church and I wasn't going to argue with him because I wasn't going to argue with the but the you Arafat were kind man. of a cultural Muslim yes absolutely and you know we growing up because before that you know if we I grew up in a very Baptist town and so I was always asked to go to church but the answer because we were not allowed to go to church any to any church was I'm, I can't I'm Muslim and so that would kind of end the conversation. But I, it was very cultural. I wasn't, he didn't expect us to go to mosque. We didn't, you know, we weren't practicing, but we still had 
many things around our home that were the Arabic blessings on the wall, things like that. So there was definitely a difference between what was in my house and what was outside of my house. that was kind of your identity. It was. It was definitely my identity. I identified more, and even though the, the ironic thing is I was raised more with my Irish Catholic family than I was with my Arab family because all of my Arab family lives in the Middle East. Uh, but I identified more with my Arab side. I, I felt like, in a way, that was my, my connection to him because we didn't have much of a relationship. And so, and our relationship was so strained because he and I had such cultural... Um, there was a cultural breakdown, cultural communication breakdown, because I was expecting to a father like all of my friends' dads were, who were very involved in their lives and all of these things. Well, he was very much pursuing his career, not around, didn't come to my basketball games, wasn't there for the dance recitals, you know, things like that. And so I thought, in my mind as a kid, I'm thinking, he doesn't love me. He doesn't want me around. In his mind, he's thinking, I... She's got a roof over her head, food in her mouth. He's a great dad. He's providing for her. I'm providing for her. And that's culturally. Hard, you know what? By nature, you see, God doesn't make mistakes, and God makes our nature. And he was a hard-driving guy. Yes. He was a hard-working guy. Yes, he, he was. He was an achiever. He's a person that could get things done. He's the fellow that would be a good basketball coach if you were privileged to <laughs> play basketball under his leadership. So on the other hand, he was thinking— and being a Muslim, being being a man who at one time had been Yasser Arafat's driver, why well, he had a lot in his world, and he was trying to run fast and keep it all straight. Yeah, exactly. but you, you told us you didn't even know about all of that in his background no. until this book came out. So, yeah, at 25, all, when his book came out, I'm thinking there's so much that ex- this explains so much about why we had such a strained relationship. I mean, he is an intense person, and he went through so much as a young man. But but back then, at that time, the one thing that you shared in common with him was your Muslim identity. Exactly. And now that's gone. And now that's gone. And so then I thought, I also knew that the choice that he had just made was going to further alienate us from our family. I knew that that he had just crossed a line from uh, in in the Muslim mindset and the Islamic mindset is conversion is not looked upon as a good thing and i thought this family that i barely knew already somehow he was continuing to make that so were you in church that day when your mom stood up and gave her heart to the lord yes i was so what are you thinking and tell us about how god worked in your life i was honestly because of the dynamic of our family uh, and what had been because even their relationship was strained as a marriage and honestly the thought i had when she stood up was you traitor (laughs) <laughs> because oh we were we were very close. I was, you know, um, there were there were many times where we it was just the two of us, you know, because he wasn't around a lot. And so I thought she's abandoning me now. She's on mm. his team now. Mm. And so there was that sort of kind of dynamic between mm. us. But God in His goodness sent two people to that church as youth pastors who would just love me into the kingdom literally love me into the kingdom for a solid year and they did they let they let me be my my angry teenage self and they never tried to make excuses they never dishonored my parents by talking badly about them and the mistakes that they made as parents Which always is a big mistake when people do that honor your father and your mother is what every leader should be directing absolutely young people. and they and they did and they gave me solid counsel from the word even though i didn't want to hear it but the, the best counsel they gave to me was always to go back to the Word. They always said, take it, take it to the Word. 
And that's what changed my life. And your brother, your brother. How, yeah. How did you get that Bible? My the Christmas before my brother, um, before my dad gave his life. Was your Lord, older brother? It was my older brother. He had given me this King James Bible. Your that, brother did. Yeah, and it was. And I didn't know what was going on because he didn't tell us that he had given his life to the Lord. We didn't know that. Well, it's something and, you perhaps didn't want to come home and talk about. Right. He he definitely didn't want to because he wasn't sure how my dad would react. So, And he had given me this Bible that had my name engraved on it. And I thought, what in the world am I going to do with this thing? So I kind of buried it in the back of my closet. And um, But when my youth pastor's wife said, Farah, just, just read the book of John for me. I pulled down, I got that Bible out of the closet, and I started reading the book of John. And that was, it was a red letter, New King James. Oh, man. And I knew that there was power in those red uh, letters. Now listen, listen, folks. I think everybody remembers the red letter edition when Bibles were being printed, and they would say, now listen, the words of Jesus are printed in red. So if you're a new believer or you are reading through your scripture, Whenever you see these in red, that's the words of Jesus, so on and so forth. So, man, that brings back a lot of my own teenage, you know, years. Of, of course, we know that it's all the word of it's God. It's all the word it's of God. And, and the black letters count just as oh, much sure, as the absolutely. red letters. But for you, that was that was kind of that meaningful for you to it realize is. that this is what Jesus this, actually in said. In doing that, mm-hmm. did you find that you were reading about a God of love and a Christ who said, forgive people absolutely. and love people and be kind to people? Right. It was, it, well, of course, you know, John 3.16, that he loved the world, that he gave his only son. And that first, at first, you know, honestly, it kind of invoked a bit, a bit of anger because I was sitting there thinking, why would you put your son through something like that for us who are just wretched? <laughs> we are not good. And But then as I continued, I realized, you know, Jesus, he did it willfully and with so much love and I think the turning point for me in reading that was when he was in the garden and the humanity of him in the garden going, God, if this, if there's any other way. And I thought, he knows, he knows me. He knows these struggles. He knows he wasn't, it wasn't a lie when he said that he went through the same. He knows what we go through as man. And it's so powerful. And I realized he knows me. So as you're reading the book of John, mm-hmm. what what happened? I, I finally went, I, this is real. This this is truth. And shortly after that was when we went to a youth conference in St. Joe, Missouri, and it was called Acquire the Fire. And Ron Luce, that guy, I mean, he has energy. And I thought he was going to pop a blood vessel preaching, but he had such power and, and excitement for this. And um, all of my friends at the end, it was, the, it was three days, and at the end, all of the youth group decided to go forward. We were a, a band of misfits, that youth group. And I kind of just sat there in my chair, and my youth pastor's wife came to me and said, Farah, it's time. You know what you need to do. And I did. I was just, I was still, and she gave me permission. That was the moment, I think it was, it was the identity question came back into, into play. And she looked at me and said, Farah, Choosing Christ does not make you any less Arab. It doesn't make you any less unique. It just means that you now have the whole picture. And she gave me permission. It was like God used her to speak to me and said, I love you and I love your culture. And I'm in it, too. 
because I created so it. So now you're complete. No, yeah, exactly. So now, 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 listen. Now, now your 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 brother is a believer in Jesus. Your dad, your mom, and now you. Exactly. You're living in a Christian family, and within one year. Yeah. I mean, this people, and that's I think. That's the huge miracle because I know lots of people who've been praying for family members for years and years. But God said, with this family, I've got a plan and I've got something to do and I'm going to do this. Tell us about that now. (laughs) Tell us about Seeds of Hope and Hope for Ishmael and the work that God is doing through your family. And when, you know, shortly after our whole life and we started walking our discipleship and all of those things, God really spoke to my dad about his past and about needing to make reconciliation with the Jewish people. And but also through that, you know, in his own studying, realizing that God had a promise for Ishmael. He promised um, not just to Isaac, but he promised Ishmael and that there should be a relationship between the sons, you know, of Abraham and that there there wasn't meant to be this this continual constant break in this family. I mean, really what we're looking at today in the Middle East is a 4,000-year-old family feud. And Jesus provides the the opportunity for reconciliation. Exactly, because that was the promise. He wasn't going to leave Ishmael out in the desert. I mean, he promised him great riches and all of these things and to be 12 great, you know, nations. That's great. And they are today. But I really believe the promise was, I'm going to bring a Savior and we're going to, we're going to see the, the, the reconciliation of this. Now, now, let me ask you a question, because in a, in a real sense, the mission field is coming to America. Mm-hmm. How can uh, Christians effectively uh, lead uh, a, a Muslim to Jesus? Tell us about how how to share your faith effectively with someone from a Muslim background. I think more, more and more we're in, encountering absolutely. that. Absolutely. And well, and our family is a testament to that, how that happens. Because it's relationship. I think one thing, um, and, and this is what I get from a lot of people when I talk to them, we all, if I tried to reach out to a Muslim and we always end up arguing. I said, that's the problem. You, you go straight in for the theology without knowing a person first and knowing their walk. Jesus spent time with the people before he started giving them parables and stories about their life and confronting them about their life. He spent time with them. He, he loved on them. He met the needs. He, he walked with them. He talked with them. And so, and that's what Charlie did with my dad. Yes. He walked with him and he talked with him until there were, the Holy Spirit brought the moment to bring in the truth. And, and I've heard the one, the one uh, common feature that mm-hmm. we have is, is an understanding that there is a Jesus. Yes. And there's a little disagreement about who he is, of Absolutely. course. And but but if you can start talking about who Jesus is, sometimes that's a, a way to begin. Well, I've even the talked gospel. to other Muslims where they say, you know, if you really read through the Quran, Jesus is mentioned more times, what who they call Isa, more times than even Muhammad is. And so they have that understanding. And actually, I think uh, there was an interview on Facebook one time of a Muslim saying, you know, the the reputation of Jesus within the Quran is even more, it's better and much more what they term holy than even Muhammad, because they know Muhammad was a man, but Jesus was a prophet to them. And so, you know, we do have that commonality. We can talk about these things. The difference is, is that we have personal, as believers, we have personal relationship. And there's that, that's where the disconnect is. 
And so I think it's so important that we can help Muslims even understand who this prophet is through relationship. And you know, really, that's the same issue when you witness to Jewish people. People is, is who is Jesus? You know, right. was he a good man? Was he a teacher? Was he delusional, or was he really the Messiah? I always talked when I have relationship with him. I just he's my rabbi, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that, that's how we have that commonality. Uh, uh, we, we, our, our time is running out. I want to turn back to the mother. You're hearing your daughter, and we've heard your husband yes. on another broadcast at Easter, and all of these things. Your Christian family now, yes, but. But God is using you, and God is using yes. your family yes. in so many wonderful and unique ways. Mm-hmm. Tell me in everything that we have been discussing, how important is the word love and kindness and showing rather than pushing, shoving, demanding? Mm-hmm. Uh, people believe this way or that way or the other way. You know, that's that's a good, really good question, and love is at the center, of course, uh, as it little girl, I learned God is love. And that's one of the things he reminded me of when uh, my husband was, suddenly we realized after 19 years of marriage, and he comes to know the Lord, that he has never in all of our marriage said the three words, I love you, to me. And I questioned God about that. Why, Why in the world couldn't he say, I love you, to me? And he said, Karen, he didn't know love. I am love. I am the love that you needed to hear from. And so he didn't understand what love was because he didn't really know the real God of love. I think there are people listening right now and uh, you need to sort things out. You say, well, I go to this church or I go to that church or I'm this way or that way the other way. And uh, and Christ died for people. Yes. Christ died for individual people. And by the way, Christ died for you. It isn't that he asked you to die for him or make a demand on you to sacrifice for him. He gave himself for you, and there's a big difference, isn't there? What were you going to say, Rich? Farah, tell us about the ministry that God has given your family. Uh Well, through, and, you know, uh, it's a long story, but what we currently do in, um, in the land, in Jerusalem and the West Bank, we have an organization called Seeds of Hope. And Wait a minute, I'll say that clear and seed, clean. Seeds of Hope. Seeds, seeds of, of hope. hope. Okay. And it is a non-religious humanitarian aid organization that we use to work in the land. And we have a preschool, a kindergarten, a daycare. We have a cultural center. But our purpose and plan for being there is really to be Jesus to the people. Instead, we, we you know, it's an Islamic area. And our Jerusalem school is a Christian school. Um, and we teach English, Arabic, and Hebrew in that school in Jerusalem. And in Jericho, in the West Bank, we teach English as a second language. But we also teach love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness. And ultimately, what we want to do is change the hearts and minds of a generation toward love and reconciliation and understanding and changing the dialogue of a constant division into what does that mean, loving your neighbor? What does that look like? If that is the greatest commandment, what does that look like? And giving children who've never heard these ideas an opportunity to really expand their mind and broaden their horizons. Because now, with the internet and where we're at, 
This world is so much smaller. So have you been to Jericho? Absolutely. I go twice I, a no, year. No, wait a minute, Rich. Before we get off that, when I'm listening to her talk, I'm thinking what she is saying is what a lot of kids in America need to hear when they're in the first, second, third, fourth, and fifth grade. What you are saying is what every child in every schoolroom in America needs to hear. And if they hear it early, we would have less problems in America. Absolutely. Loving someone else more than you love yourself. Uh, and the people in, in uh, Jericho and, and wherever, they have the same heart needs, is, yes. don't they? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, love is, that's why he talks about it more than, well, I, I wouldn't say more than in other subjects, but Jesus talks about love a lot. Yeah. Paul talks about love a lot. And we as the church and the believers in this world, that's our job is to be the love. And so that's what we're doing in yeah. uh, in the Holy Land. And your brother Ben, who was the very first in your family to trust yes. Jesus as his Savior, he's a worship guy. leader in church. Yes, guy. he's a worship good. leader at Grace Church is of Overland Park, which oh, is yeah. our home church. <laughs> very good. And um, yeah, no, he is a fantastic worship leader. He has um, many people. He he ushers in the spirit of the Lord really, really well. God bless you and your family. No, absolutely. Well, God bless absolutely. We want to keep following this so very closely. Listen now, Rich, we just have, oh, my word, time is getting by so quickly. I want to say very fast, sometime back it came to me that there are five questions every human being must ask themselves. First of all, who am I? From where did I come? What is my purpose? Mm -hmm. How do I fulfill it? And the fifth one is where am I going? Mm. That's kind of the journey of life, isn't yes. it? And yes. when a person can answer those five questions and they get the right answers, it's it, yes. it, you end up home. That's where you end up. You end up in heaven with the Lord. And you mm. find those answers in the Bible. Your website is hopeforishmael.org. If people want more information about the work you do, yes. would they find that at hopeforishmael.org? Exactly. Well, listen, I want to just quickly now say the book. Uh, the book. Now, order this book, folks. Tell them about it, Rich called Once an Arafat Man, the true story of how a PLO sniper found a new life in Jesus. Yeah. This is Dick Pott with his chapter, The Complete Story as a Public Service, and I'll see you later. <laughs> 